Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. This is episode 78. My guest this week is Lisa Cron, who is a story coach and the author of both Wired for Story, the writer's guide to using brain science to hook readers from the very first sentence, as well as Story Genius, how to use brain science to go behind outlining and write a riveting novel before you waste three years writing 327 pages that go nowhere. Both of them were published by 10 Speed Press. Her video tutorial, Writing Fundamentals, The Craft of Story, can be found on lynda.com. She's worked in publishing at W.W. Norton as an agent at the Angela Rinaldi Literary Agency and as a producer for shows on Showtime and Court TV. She's also been a story consultant for Warner Brothers and the William Morris Agency. Since 2006, she's been an instructor in the UCLA Extension Writers Program and is on the faculty of the School of Visual Arts MFA Program in Visual Narrative in New York City. Together with author, book coach, and author accelerator CEO Jenny Nash, she runs the online Story Genius Workshop. So I wanted to have Lisa on the show to talk about writing riveting story. And I love Lisa because she has no fear and is willing to debunk things that she sees are flaws in the way that we learn to write and things that you can pay attention to and not pay attention to that you think you have to pay attention to that will really make your story rewarding to write as well as rewarding for the reader to read. So Lisa has a lot to say. We crammed a lot into this conversation. So get ready to take notes and you probably want to listen to this one more than once. Um, she, she really shares so generously in this episode and it was a delight to talk to her. So here we go with Lisa Cron. Hey, Lisa, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Carolyn, I am really thrilled to be here. I've been really, really excited to talk to you um, because I think you have this exciting and different and I found very liberating approach to how to think about telling a story. And I'm eager for everybody to learn it because I, I think if I can share to start and maybe I am typical or maybe I'm just a weirdo, either way we can go with it. But I noticed that sometimes they have the whole structure of, you know, you're writing a book, Mm -hmm. take your character and throw a bunch of shit at them, basically. (laughs) And I resist it so much. And reading about the fact that like, my brain believes it's really happening was very helpful. But I'm wondering if you could elaborate on why it's so difficult to make bad things happen to your characters, and also why it's so important that you do it anyway. Sure. And and if I could just start kind of what a story actually is and why it is a really bad idea to just start and and throw something at some character who 
who is is kind of a generic person in the very beginning. I mean, because there's so much you have to create before you get to page one to really have a story. And by the time you get there, the things that you are throwing, and I'm doing air quotes now, you can't see me, but throwing at them, <laughs> you should never be throwing anything at a character because by the time they get to page one, they brought it all on themselves, the truth mm. is. And the answer is always going to lie in your protagonist's past. So you never, I mean, I believe, I firmly believe that writing is taught wrong everywhere and that the approaches to writing, writers are often taught, I mean, they just assume because it's out there in the zeitgeist that, you know, the two ways to approach writing something is either you're a a pantser, and I I throw that term out and I always assume people know what it means because, you know, in writing circles they tend to, but it was was really funny in my book, Story Genius is is edited, is, you know, comes out from 10 speed and they they don't do any fiction. So the copy editor came to me and I said, you know, if you're a pantser, and she said, like in the notes, it was like, what is pantsing? Is that that thing? (laughs) You come behind someone and you, it's like, no, no, that's, that's not at all what it is. That's junior high. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. And those are, we're all mortified by our memories of that. Um, But pantsing is, is writing by the seat of your pants. You know, people are going to sit down and the muse is going to go through them and they've got some, you know, basic little tiny idea and they're just going to kind of, some prompt, they're going to go forward and write. Worst way to write anything ever. The the other school of writing that people, um, you know, are, are tend to be aware of is is plotting. Meaning, you sit down and you come up with a plot. Uh, you know, a a, se- a series of events that are going to happen, and now you've plotted out your novel. You know, sort of from beginning to end before you get there, and that is just as damaging. In fact, if it was up to me, and this is one of those things, it's it's incendiary both literally and figuratively. If it was up to me, I would burn every copy of The Hero's Journey and every story structure book, you know, from The Hero's Journey on forward because they focus on the external plot and the story's not about the plot. Stories about how the plot affects the protagonist and because all stories actually begin and medias res, you know, Latin for in the middle of the thing, there is so much that you need to know Story specifically, not in general, before you actually get to page one, that by the time you get there, so many of these questions are already answered. Your plot tends to come from the, from the past. As Faulkner so brilliantly said, the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. And so a mistake that another mistake that writers make, and it's totally natural, is that because, you know, I mean, writers we're all secret writers. I think we're all telling stories in our heads. We think in story. It's, it's wired into the architecture of our brain. And we all, especially these days think I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know, write a story and it's going to change the world because writers are in fact the most powerful people on the planet. So, so it's very easy to go. I'm a rebel. I'm going to go, I'm going to change the world with my story. But there's this one way that we're very obedient. And that is when we sit down to read a book as readers, we very obediently tend to start on page one and we read forward in sequential order. You know, sometimes we'll jump to, you know, an exciting scene. It's like, Oh my God, I don't know what happens. Or my heart explodes. So, so we do that sometimes, but, but because that's how we read a book, it's really easy to assume that that's how you write a book beginning on page one and going forward. And it just is not. So there is so much that comes from before. And, and what I'm talking about that comes before, and I could go into great, graphic detail about that that's what that's what I hope you do about but 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 when you when you create that 
that literally those scenes it's not pre-writing it is it is the the bedrock the foundation of the story that you will write because otherwise it's sort of like saying i'm going to write a book 327 page book about the most important crucial turning point in someone's life who i know absolutely nothing about <laughs> it's like how right. could you do that it, it's it's impossible because all meaning in our your life in my life and everybody's life comes from the past it comes from what our past experience has taught us and our past experience is what creates what's going to happen tomorrow uh, you know anyway so so the point is to to circle back to your original question about being mean to your protagonist yeah that is exactly what you're going to be doing because the story again is about how someone changes internally and the only way we ever change is when we're forced to and that means that there's some sort of external really difficult change that's going to force us to take some sort of action and it's not just the action we have to take that's hard a difficult climb a mountain or save someone from drowning or whatever but what really it's forcing us to do is to confront something inside of ourselves that's been holding us back because that's what stories are actually about and that's by definition painful. So yeah, I mean, absolutely, you have to be mean to your protagonist. And the problem is, even even in the way I'm going to suggest that you that you create a protagonist and you sort of create the story you're writing. By the time you get to page one, you really love them, and it's really hard to be mean. And writers will pull punches all the time because you know, I mean, it's, it's not it's not just like literally pulling a, an actual punch because the thing that that truly hurts us a lot more than somebody who's gonna you know like like clobber us or you know punch us in the nose is someone who's gonna mortify us or embarrass us or hurt us in some sort of internal way like being you know gaslit or being I mean that's why when we talk about those situations when we're mortified is mortify it comes from the word mortification meaning death it's it's awful think about and then I'll, I'll stop, I promise. But like in, you know, in our own lives, if you think about some physical pain that you felt, you kind of think about it, but you don't feel it. If you go back and think about some time you were really embarrassed, like you literally are back in that moment and the same chemicals are surging through your body and you're feeling it and sometimes close to the same way you felt it when it happened. It doesn't go away. And being mean to characters, what, what comes across as mean is is hard, but that's the only way that we grow. What is it? There's a Emily Dickinson line, which I think in the poem goes the opposite of the way it sounds, but I love how it sounds. And, and the line is, a wounded deer leaps the highest. Mm. And it's really true. The more you are forced to go forward and really confront something difficult on the inside, the, the deeper you dig. And, and that's what a story needs to do. It's not about an external change. It's about an internal change. Yeah, I think that's why it's so hard because you do get attached to these people that you're spending all these time, uh, you know, thinking about and what would they do and what are they doing right now and what are they like? Mm -hmm. And then they have to go through, I mean, you can't just write like 300 pages about how they had a really nice time. It just right. doesn't work that way, <laughs> as tempting as it is. Wonderful, and it was so great, and yeah, exactly. Or if there's something hard they have to do, they do it easily without breaking a sweat. And it's like, stories are about change, and change, all change is hard. Good change is as hard as bad change. You know, it's as hard to leave home to get married as it is to leave home to get divorced. In fact, sometimes it's way easier to leave home to get divorced than it is to get married. So, so the point is, you know, all change is hard. It's going to confront us in a way that's going to force us to, to, to really dig deep. Um, and that's what stories are about. They're about change. So if, if you have a protagonist who isn't sweating it, who isn't 
in every single scene coming up against some really difficult internal conflict. Again, it's, it's one internal conflict that goes all the way through. But if every scene isn't forcing them to struggle with it, it's great for them and boring for us. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. So let's say there's somebody listening and they're like, oh no, probably there's several. I mean, there's a number of somebody's, but they could be plotters or they could be pantsers or identify that way. And they, they all realize, oh my goodness, I've just started on page one and I've started writing forward. And I'm now hearing that is not such a good idea. What would you recommend that someone do if they've just sort of flung themselves into the story without building the character first? What would be your kind of guide or or thoughts for them to proceed and and really do the work that needs to make the story work like you're talking about? I think that there's a series of questions or steps that I mean this is I do workshops on this all the time and it's in I know story and it's 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 a series of questions and steps of going back and digging into it I'll tell you exactly what they are you know in a moment um but I think it's important really to, to if 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 it was me I would 100% mm-hmm. stop where I was and Yes, that's all you people out there doing NaNoWriMo. I know, I know, I know, I know it's November. And I know that, that, you know, I mean, later on, it won't be November if you listen to this, not when it first comes out, but it'll be like, you know, you're already like three weeks into November. And, and the problem that people often have when they just start writing without knowing is they'll go, you know, I, I really get it. And it, it's, it's um, that shitty first draft, you know, you know, literary light, Nelson and Hemingway said all first drafts are shit. And so I'll just go back and I'll, I'll, I'll rewrite, you know, and the problem with that is, and it's it, because it's so misunderstood in the writing world, even by, you know, luminaries like, for instance, Anne Lamott, who I love. I love the book Bird by Bird. I think it's wonderful. I love all those birds. But there's one thing that she just gets 100% wrong. She talks about the shitty first draft, and I, you know, we totally agree on that. But then she says, she says, it's actually, she calls it, and these are her words, not mine, she calls it the child's draft. It's the child's draft, and in that draft, you can let it all over the place. Again, her word is you can romp all over, she says, and, and let it all flow out because, she says, in the end, it's not like anybody's going to see it, so what difference does it make? And that couldn't be less true because someone is going to see it, and that person is going to be the absolute positive, most important person in the process, and that's you, the writer. And you're going to go back at this rompy first draft, and you're going to go, okay, fine, I know, I got to rewrite. And so you're going to you're going to go back in, but the problem that we have when we go to rewrite, especially with something we've put a lot of time into, and it's like maybe it is a hundred pages or fifty thousand words, you know, in, in NaNoWriMo or or even more, is that. Our tacit allegiance is to what we've already written, as opposed to the story we're trying to tell, especially if we're not 100% sure what that story is. So when writers go back, what they tend to be looking for is connective tissue. It's like, I'm going to try to keep as much of what I've got as possible, and I'll try to find ways to weave in and out of it. And the problem is, you can't inject story logic from the outside in. It just doesn't work. And so what they end up with, you know, after throwing a lot of good time after bad is something that if it was kind of kind of boring and not really there in the beginning, now, I mean, just picture Frankenstein. You know, it's out there. It can't move. And you get writers going, oh, my God, you know, I don't know why I tried this. I, I thought I could be a writer. What a fool. Thank God I didn't show it to anybody. You know, I'm going to give it up and I'm going to, 
turn my creativity into something else, you know, like something like, I mean, I don't know, like, like interpretive dance or something. And like, don't, <laughs> whatever you do, the world has way too many interpretive dancers already. You don't need to put your name on that list. But the thing that always killed me with that is that what tanked those, those stories had so little to do with a writer's ability to write and everything to do with their ability to tell a story. Because there's a massive difference between a, a first draft that romps and the first draft of an actual story. So if you've got that, if you've got and you're kind of in the middle and you go, oh my gosh, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what it is. My advice is take that draft and put it in a file folder in the desktop on your head <laughs> and put it aside for a minute and take whatever your initial idea was, that initial spark, and run it through these steps. If you can answer these questions, and again, in in, in detail, the questions that we'll talk about, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, well, relatively quickly. <laughs> As you can see, quickly is not my, although while I talk fast, quickly is not, quickly and I are not friends. That's okay. We don't need quickly this on this show. You'll Tomorrow morning, when I'm still going, and you'll go, well, maybe a little quicker. But take it and put it aside. Don't try to reverse engineer. Don't try to go, well, wait a minute. I need This is going to happen in Chapter 3, so how can I make that be something that happens when I'm over here looking at what is my story? So the steps that you would really want to run it through and really ask is, again, because all stories begin and medias res. And so the first thing you would come back to and you would look for your what if – and that is really that beginning question. Writers, the problem is they'll start with a what if, and it's like a prompt, like literally what we got back in, in kindergarten, because that is still what they're teaching kids back in kindergarten. I know this from just having spent a couple years in a small school district in New Jersey, where I was brought in to help them incorporate story into how they teach writing. And I'd love to say that they did it because there was a maverick principal who really wanted to, to expand what was going on. And he did, but that wasn't why. Or, you know, he just was was really trying to, to, to help the kids because he felt that what they were doing in his classroom wasn't quite working. And, and that was true, but that wasn't why. They brought me in because their state test scores were low. <laughs> he needed to bring the test scores up in order to get more money. And, and the test scores did go up. But the problem is the prompts were still just this very weird thing that would happen and people would start writing forward, you know, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, Sarah finds a, a bottle on the beach with a message, you know, with a, with a message in it. She opens it up right with the messages and what happens next. And writers tend to write forward knowing just that. So what you really want to do is you want to figure out, you kind of have an idea of where you want it to go. But the bigger question is, is why would that matter to somebody? Because the story is not about what happens. The story is about how what happens challenges and forces your protagonist to realize something that that has been holding them back um and if i could just pause for one second here caroline just to give a very quick <laughs> kind of quick um <laughs> Uh, 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 an overview of what a story actually is. I think that yes. might help with this because let's yes. just for one second before we do this, we can ask this question. Well, what is a story exactly? What are we talking about? So I'm going to say it. I'll say it a couple of times slowly, and then I will break it down. And this will take about ten minutes. I warn you. So stop me. Then I'm into it. Okay. So here's what a story is. A story is about how what happens affects someone in pursuit of a deceptively difficult goal and how that person changes internally as a result. So let's break that down in familiar writing parlance. Stories about how what happens and that what happens is merely the surface of the story. That is the plot. 
that is only the surface. And I cannot, if I leave you guys with nothing, let it be this. The story is not about the plot. That is just the surface events, which is why I would burn all those story structure books, because they imply that if you get a plot, then you have a story and you don't. So it's about how what happens affects someone, that someone is your protagonist. Your protagonist is your reader's avatar within the story. They are literally biologically feeling what that character is feeling. They are going through it. They've done functional MRI studies that show when you're lost in a story, the same areas of your brain light up as would light up if you were doing what the protagonist is doing. I mean, you think of it as the world's first virtual reality. You really are there. And just to sort of prove the point, everything that happens over there in the plot is going to get its meaning and emotional weight based on one thing and one thing only, and that's how it's affecting the protagonist, but not affecting the protagonist in general, like it's you know raining over in the plot and the protagonist hates going out in the cold, so they stay home and have some popcorn and binge watch you know uh, One Mississippi on their phone, but how it affects them in pursuit of a difficult goal, and that difficult goal is that story problem or story question, plot problem, however you want to say it, and that is that hard quest that they have no choice but to go after. Again, as we said a minute ago, story is about change and all change is hard. So there's something your protagonist is going to be forced to deal with in the beginning. They're going to think, as we almost always think when something happens, it's a cakewalk, I can do it, not a problem. Of course, it's going to escalate. You know, everything they do to make it better is only going to make it worse. And so it's about how what happens the plot affects someone that's your protagonist in pursuit of a deceptively difficult goal. That is your, your plot problem, story question, and how that person, meaning your protagonist, changes internally as a result. And that is what your story is actually about. Story is not about the plot. Story is about how the plot affects the protagonist. Story is an internal change, not an external one. And if you're thinking, well, well, wait a minute, what do you mean change? Like, why does my, if I'm starting on page one, why would my protagonist have to change? Change from what to what? And that brings us to this point that I've been making. All stories begin and medias rest. All protagonists walk into the story with two things already completely fully formed. And that is something that they want and that they've wanted for a very long time. Not something they decide they want the day before the story starts. Not something they want the minute you push them onto page one into that dark and stormy night that they have no idea that, you know, that is, that is awaiting them, you know, on the threshold, you know, before they know where they're going, before they enter on page one. So they've got something they've probably wanted for a very long time, maybe since childhood. But the other thing they enter with, and this is really the key thing, is a misbelief a misbelief that has kept them from getting what they've wanted throughout their life. It's something also that happened early in childhood, you know, or maybe early teen years, and it's been plaguing them from then until you shove them onto the page, and then scene by scene by scene by scene, every scene in your plot forces them to struggle with that thing they want, because the plot is going to force them to go after that thing they want. They're not going to have a choice. And But to get it, they've got to overcome this, this misbelief. And that, that that desire and misbelief is what I call your novel's third rail. Um, third rail being the, um, it's funny, when I was first teaching this, I was at UCLA, so I was in LA, and I was talking about the third rail, and a student raised her hand, and she goes, I think I get what the third rail is, but what are the other two rails? I don't know what you mean. You <laughs> <laughs> never live near a subway. Exactly. We're getting, we've got it in LA now. We're starting to get some trains. It's so true. No, I, but they're so teeny tiny. 
I know it's not the same. I grew up on the East Coast, so I know I know a third rail. But that is funny how yeah. that could be regional. Yeah, yeah, it never would have occurred to me. But so the third rail is that you know the electrified rail in the subway car. So without it, you know, the plot and everything just basically sits there. But you might think, okay, but what's a misbelief? Let me talk about that for one second because it comes back to what you need to know before. And you might think, wait, misbelief? You know, character enters with a misbelief. Protagonist enters with a misbelief. Is that is that like? A fatal flaw. I've heard fatal flaw before. Is that what you mean? Or wound? And the answer is no, that is not what I mean, although it's similar. Fatal flaw is a term I would never use again. Because let's face it, when you think about a fatal flaw, doesn't that sound like super judgmental? Like you have a yes. flaw. It's so judgy. It's so finger waggy. It's like it's a moral failing. It's like it's almost like you're doing it on purpose. Like you know what you're doing. Like what you say to your spouse or your significant other, you know, when they go, What's wrong? And you go, You know what you're doing. I mean, the protection It's your fatal flaw. Yeah, exactly. I mean it, it just sounds so 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 moralistic, so judgmental, as if they're doing it on purpose. And they're not. And, and I have the same trouble, although wound is closer. But but wound tends to make your protagonist sound like a, a victim, you know. It's like, oh my god, you life wounded you. Although you know, my misbelief is kind of close to that. But I don't look at it as what a misbelief is, is a misbelief is something that happens early in life where protagonist is wanting something, they go in with one set of beliefs, they because of what happens, they don't get what they want, and they real they come to a realization about human nature. A misbelief is always a misbelief about human nature. It's not about some factual thing like, I thought the world was flat, and you will never believe it. It turns out to be round. Like, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> about something. Let me give you a very quick example. It would be, for instance, let's say our protagonist, she's nine years old, and she's grown up in a really dysfunctional family. Like, I don't know. Do you ever wonder what a functional family is? Like, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't think there even is one. But she comes from a super dysfunctional family. Um, she's got feral brothers and sisters. Her mother's working all the time and is never there. And she feels very alone. So she's she's at school. This group of girls has, has formed this club. And in order to come into it, you've got to have this little Japanese anime doll. And she loves this character. And she loves these girls. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get this doll. I will now be part of this group. And I'm going to feel seen for who I am and I can feel like I belong. So she saves her money, they don't have much. And the day before, you know, they're supposed to bring them all to school, she goes to get her money and it's gone. And her sister comes in and her sister says, you know, I can't stand to see you cry. I know you haven't told me about this, but I've heard through the grapevine about that, you know, the thing at school and the club and I realize your money's, I don't know what, it's just, I don't know what happened to your money that is so awful, it breaks my heart to see you this way. So I took my own money and I went out and I got you an even bigger doll because I just want you to feel good. And now the protagonist is thinking, I don't even knew those girls at school. Oh my God, my sister saw me. She knew me. She saw to my soul as to who I was. And here she is without my even asking. She's, she's given, I feel so valued. I feel so seen. And then her sister says, but you know, I used all my money for it. I'm going out with Ralph tonight. And if I don't pay, he's going to break up with me. And, you know, mom hasn't given me my allowance since I crashed the car. And you know that was not my fault. And she's in there in the kitchen. And she's got that $100 bill in her purse. And I know it's for food, but I'm not hungrier for you so, or you. So could you just go in and distract her for a minute so I could? Now, at that moment, the protagonist is going to have an aha moment. And it's going to be, wait a minute. Now I kind of know where my money went. And now I realize that you didn't do that because you cared about me. You didn't do that because I mattered to you. You're manipulating me because you want me to go and do something that's going to get me in more trouble. You're using me. Now, 
in that moment, that was true. That realization was adaptive because this is how we as human beings learn what this is where all meaning comes from in our life. Meaning doesn't come from what we read in books. It doesn't come from what society tells us. Meaning comes from one place and one place only. And that is what our past experience teaches us. And when we're little, everything is that, you know, kid logic is so much more sophisticated than adult logic because they don't know euphemisms yet. They don't know what you're not supposed to talk about. They just take it all in. And survival is something that they're not guaranteed the way I guess we kind of are these days. I don't know so much, but with kids, yeah. if your parents don't take care of you, you're kind of screwed. So, so at that moment, that became a truth to, to our protagonist, and it probably helped her in her family life from that moment on. She was not going to get used. In fact, at that moment, she would have done what we all did because you and I both know that in a situation like that, that's not the first time. Right. That is not the first time her sisters manipulated her. This has happened. She's now gone back and and her, you know, and, and looked at all that stuff and gone, oh, my God, I get it. But what was true in that moment, what was true in that situation, that family situation, which is the nicer someone is to me, the more it seems like they get me, the more they're actually trying to use me and manipulate me. It's not true out there in the world, at least. I sincerely hope it's not. So, but if you carry that out in the world, that misbelief about human nature, which is the nicer someone is to me, the more they're just trying to get me to do something that's going to go against my self-interest and use me, you can see how that would make someone misread everybody, right? You're going to misread your teachers at school when you, you know, she's nine years old, but when she goes into having romantic relationships, you know, it's going to be there in work, in school, a misbelief then then rides, rides roughshod through someone's life, steering them in the wrong direction. It picks up other misbeliefs along the way. And it keeps your protagonist from getting what she wanted. What she wanted is, interestingly, Caroline, I find that most people, to one degree or another, are, are writing about the same thing. And that is the cost of human connection. What does it cost us to connect? What do we have to give of ourselves? Can we show who we really are to other people? Or will that shut us down? You know, I mean, that's really the hard thing. So, 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 so that misbelief, which, and the point is the protagonist doesn't see the misbelief as a misbelief, as, as Caroline, as um, Catherine Schulz says in her great book um, uh, on being wrong, she says, the thing about being wrong is that it feels exactly like being right. <laughs> no clue we're wrong. So that misbelief would have, you know, gone through that protagonist's life up until the moment where the plot's going to force her to go after what she wants. But to get it, she's going to have to confront that misbelief, which by that time would have been absorbed into, you know, into her life. So that's basically what a story is. We come to story not for that surface plot. We come to story for what goes on beneath the surface. Think of stories as a difference between what you say out loud and what you're really thinking when you're saying it. Because how often are those two things the same? And which is more interesting and which is juicier and which is more revealing? It's what we're thinking. And what you're thinking always comes from the past. It's where meaning lies. It's it's like I know I know all you guys out there. Here's I'm going to say a saying, and I bet every single one of you has seen it, has heard it, and that is, never let them see a sweat. Right? We've all heard that. Never let them see a sweat. What mm -hmm. does that imply? That inside, all we're doing is sweating buckets and trying not to let everybody else see it. Stories are about the buckets we're sweating. I had a student at UCLA once who said she said. I know on the surface I look really put together. She did. She said, but inside, I'm a raging mess, and I'm trying to keep all of you from seeing it. 
That's what the story is about that vulnerability and all of that, that lens that your protagonist is going to step onto the page with, not just in terms of the way she's going to read meaning into things, but what's happened to her in her life up to that point, the balls she's already got in play. That's what, what you're going to be. That's what's going to go forward. That's what's going to create your plot. And you can't start without knowing that in other words again all stories begin immediate stress so coming all the way back to the steps you would take you would come up to that okay well why do you think that what's going to happen in this in the plot which you haven't fully you know developed yet or or even you know hopefully done much of why would it matter to this person what's it going to force them to take a look at like what is the where's the meaning going to be an example would be for instance if you looked at um uh, uh, I'm trying to think of which would be the best the best example. Um, the, the movie, you know, Casablanca. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, if there might be something like what would happen if a bitter, disillusioned expat discovers that the woman who he thought jilted him still loves him, but she's an integral part of her husband's work to save the Nazis. Now, right there, you get a moral, a really difficult thing. You understand what he wants. You understand the misbelief again which which was for him it's like life isn't worth living because here's this person who he loved who could have left him so easily now he finds out that's not what happened at all and he can get her back and he she brings him back to life but she's a part of her husband's work to stop the nazis so what does he do you can sort of see how that's going to go forward but for writers going forward the two questions to ask yourself before you even get to that point is First question to ask yourself when you're writing anything on that level, what, what is your point? What point is that story going to make? What are you trying to say about human nature? What is that point? Because all stories make a point and they begin making that point on page one in the very first sentence. The way they make the point is you've got the misbelief and the plot forces the protagonist to reevaluate their misbelief. When they finally see their misbelief for what it is, a misbelief, aha, that's where your story is going to make the point. But you want to figure out what that is. What are you trying to say? What are you saying about human nature? What is that? Because again, unless you know that from page one, how can you write a story that's actually going to make that point? The answer is you can't. And once you know what that is, you you also want to ask yourself, why is making that point so important to you? Why do you want to tell this story? And really go into something personal. The best stories almost often come from some personal experience that the protagonist has had, and that's why they want to get this message out into the world. Because that is how you'll change that is how the world changes via us being inside the protagonist's skin and then we make that same change along with the protagonist because we're in their skin experiencing it and seeing things through their eyes. So so really ask yourself, why does that matter to you? And then you then you can you can come up with your with your what if. At that point, the next question to ask is you want to dig down into your protagonist. Who is your protagonist before the story starts? Before they have any idea. Like as far as they're concerned, it's still morning in America. They got no idea the dark and stormy night you're about to shove them into. Who are they? What are they afraid of? What do they want? Where are they in their lives? What do they think this next year is going to be? Think about that in your own life. You could do that right now, you know, at home even. Think about that. Like from tomorrow morning, you know, until a year from now, if you start thinking about that year in your life, forget. Don't think about politics, though, because who the hell knows? <laughs> like that will right. 
quotes. So don't go to politics, but just go, when you think about the next year of your life, you've got the things that you want to have happen, the things you're trying to make happen, the things you're terrified are going to happen. You've got why you're afraid of the things you're afraid of. You've got why you want the things that you want to have happen, things that probably you started to put into play, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Well, the same is true of your protagonist when she steps onto page one. You need to know those stories, specific things. So who is that person? And once you get that, it's really just it's a, it's a general thing at that point, and it's only there so you can ask questions of it and dig deeper and really get into the what does your protagonist enter wanting? What is that? What will getting it mean to them? Because that's really the key thing. It's not like they just want a million dollars so they'll be rich, but what will it mean to them to have that money? What, will, what do they think it'll say about them? What will it say to the world at large that they want the world to see when they look at them? And then you want to ask yourself, is it really what they want? Because often, like romantic comedies, we all know, right? The character enters thinking they want one person, they're going to end up realizing they want someone else at the end. So if it's not what they want, what do they really want? And again, you can't write forward until you know the answer to that. You can't write forward to find it out. And then once you do that, you would go back into, okay, let's go further back with this misbelief. Where did that come from? What actually happened in the protagonist's life, like that story we were just talking about, that brought that into being? And then you would sort of trace that. And you write it in scene form, in, in scene form, so we're inside the head of your protagonist as they're realizing what's going on. Again, the difference between what's happening and the sense your protagonist is making of it, the same way we all do. We're thinking all sorts of stuff we don't say. And then you would trace its its evolution in your protagonist's life in a story-specific way up to that moment where your story starts. And if you can do all of that, and and as you'll see, and I'll sh I promise you, I will shut up now because I know I've gone on and on. <laughs> I did, you guys, before we start, I, I, I did warn you. <laughs> I have a habit of doing this. But anyway, once you can answer those questions, and then a few more, what will that aha moment be? What what are they going to realize? What is your, your plot going to force them to realize? What is that going to be? Then, then you've got the basis of something that you can start writing. And all of this work that I'm talking about doing before you get to page one, again, I cannot say this strongly enough, is not pre-writing, is not research, is not what you do before you get to the real thing. This is the real thing. Not only because the plot is going to spring out of this, not only because this is the only way you can know what your protagonist wants, who they are, once you put them onto the page and what they're afraid of, but because the scenes that you're going to write, and you will write a lot of this out in scene form, are going to be in your novel. Take a look and see. If you guys are writers out there and you've heard people say, oh, beware of backstory. Don't give us a lot of backstory. Only idiots say that. Like, <laughs> what they really mean is don't do it poorly. Because my advice is if you think that that's when you want to see how it's done, Take any book that you're reading and take a highlighter and highlight everything in the book that is when you're in the protagonist's mind as they're thinking about what to do, this internality, and when they're bringing the past into it. I was working with a writer who was who said, I wanted to see that. You know, you said that. I want to see it. She said, I'm reading Gillian Flynn's, her first book. You know, she wrote Gone Girl. Her first book is called Sharp Objects. She said, you know, I'm, I'm halfway through the book and I've highlighted. 60% of it. Six, oh, yeah. Zero. The bulk of your book is what I'm talking about developing now. So this is the way, but it's not taught that way. Writing is not taught that way. Writing is taught like as if you learn to write a really pretty sentence and all of these things that you can yank from on the outside and you come up with a plot. Like if you're talented, well, then you'll, you'll have a story. And if you're not, well, there's interpretive dance. Like 
That's not true. It's just not true. Story is something very specific. And by, by taking these steps, anyone can write a story, like really, truly. That's so, anyway. What was the question again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it. No, I think I, the question was, which you absolutely answered, was if somebody's sitting there saying, I feel like I've gotten partway in and I'm a little bit lost, how would I go back and, and rework that? And that's exactly what we just learned. So I have one question, though, in the middle of all that. So sometimes, I mean, the what if, I think about that all the time, which I love. And... The other thing, though, the point of the story, I wonder, because sometimes when I think of stories or they come to me, there will be a, what if there was a character and they were in this situation, this happened, but the point or what we're trying to say about human nature is a little bit harder to find. So do you have any thoughts on getting that? Because there may be this very strong sense of, ooh, there's something here. And over the process of thinking about the story, it comes um, what the point is. But if you could say more about finding the point, I think that would be helpful. Okay, and, and no problem. Um, and sometimes the thing about the point is sometimes, especially in the beginning, it literally sounds like a bumper sticker. It's literally <laughs> something as simple as just better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. I mean, it, it deepens as you go forward. But if you're not 100% sure, and I would really think about it, like honestly, really, truly, I would spend time thinking, what do I want this to say about human nature? Why is this important to me? And when you come back to the misbelief, like what is it, if, if that would help, to kind of go, okay, what is my protagonist walking onto the page? Where are they reading things wrong? Where, what is this defining belief that is sending them forward? Um, that really can help you. Can, you can, it's a horrible way to say it, reverse engineer. Okay, there's that. What are they going to realize at the end when they're going to come out of it? Well, that is the point that you're making. And I mean, in other words, it's not, a lot of this stuff isn't as complicated as it sounds. But you, if, if you go, okay, well, wait a minute, I don't want to use that language and say kind of what's the point. Writers used to always say, what's the theme? And theme is a word, and it, it, it's funny, in, the, in that school district, I said, get rid of the word theme. Like, don't use it. Like, because they're teaching seven-year-olds theme. And it's like, I'm saying, this makes adult writers quake in their boots. Like, why would you use that word? Get rid of it. And they said, well, we can't because it's on the test. So it's like, okay, well, you know, say point instead, which is, you know, again, what are you trying to say? But if that's difficult on that level, I would go to the misbelief. Okay, what is that misbelief? And what are they going to realize at the end? And that will give you the point. That is what you're trying to say. But but you really need to know that before you go forward or it'll be really hard. And again, I'm not saying it can't change as you go forward a little bit. You can't go, wait, 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 no, no, it turns out to be this. But but it will ground you, especially in going back to the, you know, to, to this misbelief. It will ground you in that. And you'd be surprised because we do that we we do a story genius workshop where we kind of force people to do it. And it's really interesting to watch people dive in and sweat it and then get there. And and one way that might help you get there is to really ask yourself, why is telling the story important to you? Like what is it that keeps you up at night about it? What is that thing that you're trying to get to the bottom to? I was just reading a can't remember the name of it, but basically the, the, the writer said she wrote it because she wanted to find out why a woman would abandon her young son. 
Like, that's what she wants. Mm. How could she still be a good person and do it? That was the point. She's still a good person, and yet she's done this. Why? Because we come to story not for what. We come for the why. That's why coming back down and getting this point is what matters. We don't come for, because that's why when I say writing is wrong everywhere, that's where we get it. People go, show, don't tell, and they completely misunderstand what that means. Or they'll say, oh, don't tell us what the protagonist or the character's thinking. That's for the reader to figure out. You're doing the reader's job for them. And like, that couldn't be less true. That is what we come for. We come for that internal quandary. We don't come for what the protagonist is doing. We come so we understand why they're doing it. Because, I mean, that, like I say, the difference between the surface and underneath, and think about it in real life. I mean, as horrific as this is to say, I mean, look at, and it's, you know, I say this, this is really a horrible thing, a doubly horrible thing, because when I, when I speak, I often will say this, and sadly, every time I do, there's some other example of it, which is, look at the most recent mass shooting. What does everybody want to know? Why did he do it? Why did he right. do it? You know, I mean, and, you know, then it was, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was, you know, it was Las Vegas. Now it's, 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 you know, the place outside of, uh, of, uh, of San Antonio in, in Texas. It's, okay, why? We want to know the why. In fact, in Las Vegas, I heard about a week or two, 10 days afterwards, there was, I think it was on NPR, the New York Times, and it was the sheriff of Las Vegas saying, the place where we've fallen down, what we're really trying to do now is we're trying to piece together to understand why this guy did it. It's the hardest thing, and it's what's eluding us, and we can't go forward without it. We're not interested in the what. We're interested in the why, and the why is always internal. The why is always that motive, and it's not a general thing. It's a very specific way your your protagonist, your character, is a specific meaning they're they're reading in it. And often, you know, that's the point. Where are we going with that? What do you? If you don't know what you're trying to say, it will be really difficult and hard to say it. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't evolve as you go forward. It doesn't mean you won't surprise yourself going forward. It doesn't mean once you've got this context, you might find you're going in a different direction than you thought. But if you are, because you've created the context, you understand what those changes mean. And you understand how to hook them into what you're already writing, what you need to get rid of, what you don't. But um, so I don't know if that if that if that helped. No, it does. It does. Because I think it is. I, I think two important points in there, I think, are that finding what the the misbelief is and where that's going helps you find it almost gives me like a a ryan's belt i'm like you got two out of the three stars it's going to point you over there and also the idea that you start with as much as you know of this and that you may discover more or it may shift later but start with as much as you can yes yeah i mean because i mean the truth is what i am always telling writers is because with all of this and we're talking about it and that's the frustrating thing even about sometimes workshops where it's a one-day workshop which is this isn't stuff that you could do in a day this isn't stuff you could answer with a declarative sentence the story is in the specifics so it really means going back and spending a lot of time writing scenes and what I find with the writers that I work with is, is even in more depth than the scenes that you're writing now, which is why the scenes that, I don't mean you, obviously, but the scenes that <laughs> writing one is writing yeah. aren't, aren't working because it doesn't have this depth. So writers are constantly going to the past and going, okay, wait a minute, I don't know the answer to that. Let me go back into the past again and see why this character would do it. Let me go back and see what actually happened there. A new character comes in. Well, wait, why are they doing it? How did they know them? Okay, you have, I, I, would say to writers never write forward 
until you know these whys. And as you get into a scene and suddenly there's something you don't know, stop and go back because think of it this way. If suddenly you're going to decide later on that a protagonist had some, some of this thing happen to them in the past that was big and transformational, that means everything they've done from page one on is no longer valid. It would be like if you walked onto the page, like, like in your life, take some big giant thing about you and, and, and extract it from anything you did going forward. And someone would go, oh, my God, that was so unlike you. And you'd go, yeah, whoever said I would do that, I would never do that because of this thing over here. And now everything that's happened is invalid. I mean, I mean, the truth is, remember that? Was that old? Was it a Visa commercial? You know, the one thing you don't ever leave home without. The only thing you yeah. ever leave home without is our past. It is how we make sense of everything. You can't get to know your protagonist by writing forward in the novel. You cannot, because that means everything they did before that isn't something that they really would have done. It's not down to the depth. You have to know it first. But to know it, it never means, never, ever, ever, here's another piece of advice, never do one of those general bios, like a birth-to-death bio. Never go, I'm going to get to know my character and just write general things about them, you know, like, and, and you'll see them online, like, they're so long and you fill them out and it's like, where were they born? What's their favorite song? What school did they go to? What religion do they have? When did they have their first kiss? You know, did they believe in euthanasia? Ginger Marianne? I mean, all of these questions and it's like, you end up knowing so much in general but nothing means anything. It's like, it's like those birth-to-death bios tend to be I actually heard someone once say this about about Ronald Reagan's deepest thoughts. They said they're <laughs> ten inches wide and a quarter of an inch deep. They said you could wade in his deepest thoughts and not get your ankles wet. And that's what those bios tend to be. Is that and they end up not having any logic anyway because logic is always internal logic. It's not this happens and then that happens and that happens. I mean, I I have to tell you, this is why because writers don't think of it in this way. This is why most of the manuscripts that come into agents and editors are rejected out of hand by just looking at a page or two. I mean, I can't tell you how many manuscripts I've read where if you asked me what's it about, I'd say, it's about 300 pages. I have no idea. It's just a bunch of things that happen. And that's what happens without this internal story logic. And it comes from your protagonist because everything is there to put your protagonists through their paces, counting secondary characters who are developed just as completely, but they're developed in order to put your protagonist through whatever it is, whatever that dark and stormy night is. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad um, that we got to have this conversation. I feel like we've just like just barely scratched the surface. So I'm glad that everybody can go out and read your books and go forward. Um, But I'm, I'm loving these questions and getting into the depth of character, which I have found has made a huge difference for me in working on my own novel, that knowing what the character is trying to accomplish, what she's stuck on, where she's scared and and where she's, you know, misperceiving the world has made a huge difference um, in uh, the story starting to make sense. Mm -hmm. So I can vouch for this process for sure. And I encourage everybody to dive in and and read more. But this has been a really great overview that I hope is really helpful. And I'm just so grateful that you took the time to to talk with me, Lisa. Oh, it's I. I, There's nothing I like more than than talking story. I could do this like literally, truly, till tomorrow morning. And I (laughs) another thing. (laughs) So absolutely, I, I know we could have an episode called and another thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So true.
<laughs> it's so true. But thank you for inviting me. It's been really fun. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.